0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff and management.
1: Welcome to Living Well with Ann Beale. Our show is a health show, a lifestyle show and an empowerment show rolled into one. Get ready to hear some stories of success, healthy living tips, and suggestions to get motivated and live your best life. Now, here is your host, Ann Beal.
2: I am here today at the SAGE Summit and just having a blast already today. I got here early. I got to see Tony Hawk, uh, William McDonough, and Bree Pettis, and Dolly Singh, who's transforming the high heels all physics and design and computers has been really awesome. And then I ran into yesterday this wonderful woman that just fascinated me. Her name is Jenny Whitehouse, and she's been called the Comedian CPA, a self-proclaimed nerd, former technology executive and CPA partner. Jenny Whitehouse has made it her mission to eliminate boring from the world of presentations. And I found this fascinating because she is a CPA, and CPA are not the most funny... Um, super social people. I was a math major, and I was kind of social, but most of my friends were not. And so I came across Jenny, the comedian CPA, and I'm like, "How does that happen?" Welcome to the show, Jenny.
3: Thank you, Anne. It's great to be here, um, and thanks for all those kind words about my profession. I mean, I can't believe you think that. We don't what us no personality? I'm shocked <laughs> by that. Um, you know, we're great with tax codes. We got all these great insights to share, and uh, it really became evident to me that. No matter how smart you were and how much you knew, if nobody understood what you said, you really uh, weren't having that big an impact. So that's my mission, to try to change that. And um, it's been a long time. I've been fighting this battle a pretty long time. Well, so
2: you are one of the speakers here at yes, the I summit. Am. And how yes, did that happen, that, you, that they found you as a, a CPA <laughs> and, and a comedian CPA?
3: Well, I started, I, was, uh, I started with Deloitte right out of school, and I actually decided in seventh grade, that's really kind of scary, that I wanted to be a CPA. I was a nerd even back then. Um, I was good at math and I discovered that was gonna be the profession that I wanted to be, so I started working towards that. My whole, uh, my whole tra- trajectory at that point was to become a CPA and get, be an accountant. Um, so wh- I worked for a long time to be partner in a CPA firm. I finally achieved that goal after 15 years of work, starting with Deloitte and moving into a small firm in Atlanta. The day I made partner, though, Anna, it was a, a crushing day for me because I looked around and went, oh my gosh, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. I was doing taxes. I was in an office. Um, and the only part of the job that I really enjoyed was interviewing the clients. Hmm, That might send you a message, right? I was very slow to listen to that message, unfortunately. And it took really getting to the pinnacle of what I thought was my dream for me to sort of stop and go, this is it. I'm walking away. I don't want to do this anymore. And if I do this for the rest of my days, I'm going to die miserable and unhappy. And probably at at a young age because I was really struggling to fit myself into a mold that really didn't fit me. But I didn't know that there was anything else that I could do. I knew that I had an ability to, I had done a little bit of, com- a lot of computer consulting, one-on-one helping people with businesses. And I knew that's when I felt like I was really alive. Not when I came back and their tax returns in my office. But you know,
2: what you did that I didn't do was I was an engineer. Yeah. And um, my personality just... <laughs> It, it didn't fit very well. And so <laughs> I um I ended up, you know, I did it for quite a while, but then I ended up changing fields, you know, went back to school yeah. and added on the mental health field and wellness. And so... <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> and kind of, of leap too. Yeah, I so know. where did I use my engineering and software and computers? In my yeah. office, right? Yeah. And so it's amazing what I can do. But as far as a field, what you did instead was... You know, it dawned on me as you were talking, it was what the geniuses on the stage today were talking about when they were, when it was the physics and design engineering, William McDonough and Bree Pettis and yeah. Dolly Singh to find where there's a hole, where what's missing and, and fill it, right? That's and right. And so, and that becomes your niche. That's and for right. you, you realized you could change the field
3: in some ways, which is what you've been doing. And I wish I could say I was smart enough to figure that out. Like, you know, a, a light switch came on and immediately <laughs> knew this is what I can do. I can take this. I mean, this is 15 years of investment. I mean, took this horrible exam. <laughs> studied all this boring crap, learned the tax code, all this stuff. And here I am, I'm going to walk away. And I right. thought at that moment that I was a huge failure. I mean, the feeling um, of, of that walking away from this thing is I've wasted these 15 years and I'm a failure. I can't do this thing. And, and part of what really made me realize it was when I looked around at everybody else in my firm and the satisfaction they got from that and the joy and, their, and the ease with which they did the job. Whereas I was struggling. I mean, I was working 12 hours a day to get the work done of other people that they could do in a lot less hours and I was only being average at the end of the day. It took me 12 hours just to be average and that's really frustrating and and demoralizing for a human being. So thank God I had I was stupid enough to go I'm gonna walk away I didn't have a clue what was I gonna really do I luckily had some clients that I knew I could go do some work for and that helped me sort of have confidence that there's at least one or two things I can do and the first thing I did was teach and that was a, a real miracle because that's when I got to start really speaking and presenting and when I the first moment I started doing that I went this is it this feels right
2: but you also ended up taking stand-up comedy, right? Well, that was much later. That oh, was, was when I—I
3: I mean, that was after I um, started with this teaching thing, really launched the speaking, and realized, you know, this is more along the avenues of what I can do. But I was still teaching technical subjects, so it was still a good fit for the nerd thing that I had going on as well. So I could sort of bridge that gap. But it took me a long time to realize that. A speaking gig was really a job. It was like, well, this is not real work. It's not hard and painful, so therefore it can't really be. I can't make a living doing something that I actually enjoy. I mean, I think a lot of us have that sense. It's got to be painful. It's like a, it's like a weight loss. If there's no pain, there's no gain, or you're working out. And it's just not true. We beat ourselves up for so long doing what we think we're supposed to do instead of listening to that little boy voice inside. Um, and and doing that thing, and I actually did a TEDx talk about that little voice um, versus the other voice. A <laughs> small, quiet voice for me. I refer to as my basset hound self. Yeah. I raised we raised basset hounds as a kid, and I'm from the south. And basset hounds are kind of you know nothing but love. That's the true flame that burns inside. And the other voice, I was also raised a uh, Catholic, is the voice of a nun. The one with the ruler who slaps you on the wrist if you're not oh, yeah. following the rules and you're going to go to, you know, burn in hell and uh, you've got to go to confession if you do the wrong thing. And that's the voice that punishing you should voice is the one that we end up listening to because it's louder. Well, so that's the one that um, when you realize this field
2: doesn't fit your personality very well, yeah. um, that said, oh, you're so stupid. Exactly. You, should, you know, you look failed. At, look at fifteen years and all you put into it, and what a failure!
3: You're a huge failure, and I carry that around. And there's, there's still a sense of that, you know. You know,
2: but failure. What they said even today, yeah, um, is failure is. And they had such great words. I wish I could did. remember. God, it was it, very tweetable. It today. was <laughs> very tweetable. William McDonald, yeah. when he speaks, oh my God. I was like. I ran into him when I was walking out. I was like, oh, my gosh, that was so wonderful. <laughs> let, me, let me affirm you. Um, <laughs> I get to touch him. Uh, and so he, he did say, you know, he said that failure is just, um, it wasn't, oper- he didn't use the word opportunity,
3: but it was education to know what to do next. It is. It's, you and know, it's like putting your hand on a hot stove. You learn not to do that again. And that's what failure is. You try these things on the way, you refine what it is that you really want to do by failing along the way. And you know, again, I think most of my—I just thank goodness that I had this the stupidity, I think, to not fear that there wasn't something else out there.
2: Yeah, and you, but you—you you took the the education that you had and everything, and, and you know, they say fail. What? what is what did William McDonald or it was Bree fail early, fail often. Yeah, you know, because I, wish then I you failed learned. earlier, Anne. <laughs> I should have <laughs> failed know. a little failed earlier. Failed. It. <laughs> One year instead of fifteen, and so, but that led you to really transform your field as far as it, adding to it. It's um, I hope making so. it making it, but <laughs> the fact that you're here. And I thought first, of all, first I thought CBO. Okay, you are at a software. You're yeah. the biggest company in the world, Software Convention. You're the thought yeah. speaker. Um, so you transformed a boring subject of CPA and computers. Technology. Technology. Yeah. It is a huge, I mean, look how big this place is. And it, everything
3: that you do applies to it. That's right. Um, and I think that's really, that's really the message for anybody out there. You know, you might be in something that you don't enjoy. You might have invested something. But you can take whatever it is from that that you can apply and apply it in a different way. So it isn't that you necessarily have to abandon what you have or know or what, you, what you're good at. But it's looking for a different angle. And, again, I didn't really know that. I had to kind of get there along the way. And it took some major slaps in the face or the head for me to really go, this is where you need to focus. You really need to become good at it. You need to invest in it like you would in anything else. And I had been reading. I mean, I've always been a reader, and I've always been trying to self-improve. There aren't enough self-help books, unfortunately, for me to get there. But um, I'm still trying to get organized, um, and I can't find the book. But, you yeah, know, that's one of those things you can only read so much. At some point, you've got to do it. But the investing in the thing that you really want to do and figuring out how to be the best at that and that's the difference and that's when I took stand-up finally when I realized that I yes I could and I knew I wasn't that funny but I knew there was a process there somewhere there was something that I could learn and it's really the process understanding what the moving parts are that helps make a difference and that training really um, lifted me from a wannabe speaker to somebody who knew they could the fact that I could do that Gave me the confidence internally.
2: Yeah, but how many people do choose? It. Oh, I think I'll go take, take uh, Where do you go to take stand up comedy? <laughs> Only the freaks of nature do that kind of thing. I, like, I mean, that this is was so
3: cool. And I actually, and I figured it out. It came very clear to me at my dad's funeral. I was delivering the eulogy for my dad who had passed away suddenly. I was standing there doing a comedy eulogy for my dad, and I just talked about all the weird things that my dad had done, and and talked about him, and told the story of his life from my perspective using comedy. And in the middle of that, and it's really kind of sad that I'm so in the middle of this (laughs) eulogy. I'm actually. I need to take stand-up comedy training. I need to get good at that. This this matters. This comedy communication connection is a way to relate to human beings, and I hadn't made that connection. It's valid. It's not just funny for entertainment it's for connecting to people. So how's it I mean how's it work? People respond it's, really well. You know what I, the one of the things that I found out through the, this funeral experience is the line between comedy and tragedy is a very small line. Right. And I do both allow you that. to express the emotion and it's a very similar emotion and what got us through the funeral as a family was comedy. We had a dinner The day before the funeral, where everybody told funny stories about my dad, about all the goofy things that involved him. And it was amazing how that healed for us, and it allowed us to partake of the experience of of relishing my dad and his life And grieving in a healthy way.
2: And grieving. And you really get the same emotion out. Yes. Well, and talking. Talking in a way that you can talk about it when someone passes away. Bringing it up. But it's a way to help them speak it so that they That's can right. so they can heal but yeah. it also the humor almost it makes you you've heard
3: people laughing and crying yeah. at the same it's time it's the same feeling yeah. it's the same release yes. even though you're not and, and we were crying and laughing at the same time in many cases but it's really that moment that, that really made it clear, clear for me because there's pain in the world of not knowing things and you know it's not the same sort of pain but the comedy is the bridge that you can use and I had found myself using comedy as a way to diffuse the nerd you know you're a nerd, you got all this <laughs> scary technical knowledge you yes. can lord over people. And in dealing with small business people one on one, I always use comedy and I made fun of myself, going, Yeah, I might be a CPA, but I don't know anything anyway. And, you know, and this is no big deal. And let me help you understand it. Don't be afraid of these accounting terms.
0: So well, I already
3: sort of applied it, but in a very informal way. So y- you also are from Napa. California. I'm right. not from there, and you live
2: there. So I was like, "How is it that <laughs> I you're live from there, y'all?" <laughs>
3: <laughs> you can clearly tell I'm not from there, and ask anybody a that but no, I don't belong there. I'm never around here. You know. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's part of the journey. And actually, Sage. I was a I was a VP at Sage. Sage is the reason I ended up in California. They actually moved me out there. I was an employee of Sage, and and um, they moved me out to California to to do a role at Sage. I was running a product that was based in Pleasanton, California and also working with CPA. So again, I've always had this sort of connection back to CPA from the other side. But um, left SAGE and had met some people that were doing accounting differently in the Napa Valley. And they approached me and said, you need to come do what you do with us. So a couple days a week, I get to play with wineries in the Napa Valley. And that uh, sounds, I would make you smile and laugh. Oh, and who funny. would have dreamed? I mean, uh, I'm from <laughs> Greenville, South Carolina, originally. You know, the best thing we drank out there was frenzy in a box. It had That's to be a big box, you know. <laughs> and you well, bring that up in Napa Valley, and they just kind of, oh, my gosh, what are we dealing with here? So how do you make CPAs accounting funny? You know there's because you teach this session (laughs) it's 30 (laughs) minutes is the session 30 minutes yeah i have 30 Mm -hmm. minutes uh and i have two sessions today actually it's it's an it's a perspective and it's not people because i took stand-up comedy people think i'm i'm doing stand-up all the time that couldn't be further from the truth but what you do is look for the angle You look for something that is a surprise or different and you communicate a topic in a different way. So that's what I do. So I don't do stand-up routines. If people always ask me to tell a joke, I don't do that. I walk past, you don't look like you're putting on a show. Stand-up does not involve jokes. It's about telling stories, it's about finding a way to flip things on their head. And that's what excites me about what I do. So I find an angle, I find a piece of code or a tax law that's ridiculous and I talk about it as a way to educate people about concepts. So sales tax, for example. One of my first talks that I did was for a company that's actually on the floor today called Avalara, and they have automated sales tax. Does that not sound like the most exciting topic imaginable, Anne? I think an automated tax of any kind is bad. (laughs) Who does not want to talk about sales tax all day? So I had to do a topic for that, and what I did is go through the tax laws in all the states and find these ridiculous rules that you had to honor in order to do sales tax right, and one of them was donuts in order to determine the taxability of a donut, you had to figure out how close the donut was to a utensil. What? This is in the tax code. I'm not surprised, actually. So if you're a sales clerk in a retail grocery store and you sell donuts, you gotta go measure the fork, distance from fork to donut in order to figure out whether it's taxed at one rate or the other. So I just found all these things. There's a thing about the big ice or the little ice. There's a thing about the size of the marshmallow that determines taxability. So it's that kind of stuff. And for me, in order to be inspired to come up with a presentation, I gotta find the funny something. I gotta find the weird angle or something I can pick at. And once I do that, my whole presentation comes together. So that's what it is. It's more about finding a a crazy angle and then working it.
2: Well, yeah, so if there are accounting or CPAs out there, um, how would they find you?
3: So CPAs find me online. I have a website called evenanerd.com. People, I speak at all the accounting shows and, I, and most nerd, of the technology shows. A nerd can be heard. Even like, a nerd can be, book, be even, heard. I wrote a book called How to Make a Boring Subject Interesting. It's available on Amazon, and the subtitle is 52 Ways Even a Nerd Can Be Heard. So they, they find me. I'm in at most of the shows, and I'm known for making boring stuff interesting. That's my life's work. Um, and the CPAs, my, my advice would be don't try to... You don't, everybody doesn't have to be funny. But what everybody has to do is work from what they have. So what I discovered is nerd was something that held me back as a kid. I mean, I was a smart nerd in calculus class in high school. It didn't, didn't lend itself to uh, being you know, the first person asked out for a, a party. Uh, in fact, I was never asked to any party in high school. I, I was the nerdy, smart girl in the back you know, who didn't say anything, believe it or not. Um, but I knew that was one of the elements of who I am. I knew that I have this southern thing going on. Um, I I knew all these elements of who I am. Eventually, I figured out these are things that are really part of who I am. And I'm going to use those. So I play off that. Hence the name Even a Nerd. I might be a nerd, but I got something to say. And that's where it came from. That is wonderful. So in the TEDx, where where was that that you were... The TEDx was uh, at TEDx Napa Valley, the local event in Napa Valley. I was the first speaker in the first year that event was put on in uh, Napa Valley, and that is the most frightening thing I have ever done. I've heard that people say that. And is that on YouTube? Can people see it that? It is on YouTube. Jeannie uh, Whitehouse, TEDx Napa Valley, Bass and Hound and None. There aren't very many of them with that title, and you'll be able to find that one pretty quickly. <laughs> and it's Jeannie. G- it's Jeannie, G-, G E N I. G- and White House, N- where the president lives. Yeah. White House, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think that you make this. This convention, you know, a lot more fun for everyone. Oh, thank you. And uh, people played off of you, I hear, as you're going <laughs> on. And, uh, and and they do make it fun here at SAGE. I it's was at a, a session incredible. last night and they kept um applauding on one side of the curtain and on the other side, whoever was speaking over there, all of a sudden they started yelling and then our speaker was like, <laughs> Yell louder, yell louder. So we all started yelling. It was just, it was hilarious. I thought a bunch of professional people were acting crazy. Yeah, competitive
3: speaking event. That's yeah, a, a whole it new thing.
2: <laughs> That's exactly what <laughs> they would call it. I uh, just thank you so much for taking time and it's coming a over it's and a uh, letting people know such a thing as exists and that you can help. Especially, I have friends that are CPAs. and uh, There I, is hope. There's hope. There's <laughs> hope. But also for them to find comedy and joy in the middle of the, yeah. you know, the detail that they go in That's right. and, and they have a lot of stress they and do. that helps oh, them with the stress yeah. so um, thank you for being on Living Well My pleasure. and uh, if you want to reach me just email me at ablivingwell@gmail.com, at or give me a call 817-501-1638 at Life Solutions Wellness Clinic. Have a good day and live well.
1: Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Most married men experience frustration because there are things they want from their wives but don't know how to get them. Nothing seems to work. Desires are unfulfilled fantasies unrealized and relationships become stagnant men are desperate today for a richer deeper more satisfying and intimate marriage dr jim slaughter teaches men how to have the passionate fulfilling marriage they've always wanted call 817-991-4964 or email j at yahoo.com to begin transforming your marriage into what you want it to be
0: follow us on twitter for more great ideas at voice america empowerment
1: are listening to Living Well with Ann Beal. We'd love to hear from you with comments and questions about the show. Please send us an email to ablivingwell at gmail.com. That's ablivingwell at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show.
2: Hi, this is Ann Beal. Welcome to the Living Well Show. We are here at the SAGE Summit And I have just a wonderful guest today. He is actually a thought leader, speaker for the SAGE Summit this week. His name is Evan Carmichael, and he is a fascinating individual. I actually sat in on some of his sessions while I've been here. Evan, at 19, he sold a biotech software company. And at 22, he was a venture capitalist. Welcome to the show, Evan. Thanks for
4: having me, Anne. It's a pleasure.
2: Now, you're from Toronto, Canada?
4: I am from Toronto, Canada.
2: Wow. And how old are you now?
4: How old am I now? Let's see. What year is it? Uh, I am 35.
2: You are 35?
4: 35, yeah. Well,
2: you don't look 35. You look very healthy. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. So, today, you actually work with entrepreneurs, right?
4: Yeah. It's my passion.
2: Your passion. What do you do with them?
4: You know, it started when I. So you talk about my first company. I was 19. I had a software company, and uh, I made all the wrong decisions that you can make as an entrepreneur. And we struggled, and we failed. And I turned down, you know, six-figure jobs, starting salary at a university, to do this business where I thought I'd live my entrepreneurial dream. And I'm making $300 a month. Can't survive. You know, beans for lunch every day. And if we ever got a new client, we'd celebrate with a win at McDonald's to get French fries. Uh, not not even a full <laughs> meal, just celebrating with French fries.
2: <laughs> I can relate.
4: And you know, I told my partner I quit once, and just it took everything out of me. And up until that point in my life, everything I'd done, I had success with. If I if I applied myself, I worked hard, I would have success. And here I was, like busting my hump like nobody's business, and I wasn't getting anywhere. Um, and I found my path, and and I hit like rock bottom, and I found a new way to stand. We we turned that around, and. Um, my passion then became helping other entrepreneurs avoid uh, <laughs> the struggle as much as possible, um, continue to believe in themselves, continue to have the motivation to keep going. And um, I just love seeing an entrepreneur who's dedicated to what they're doing and knowing that what I've said has touched them and helped them. And they're going to take that and go apply it to help make the world a better place somehow.
2: So when you were nineteen and you had the biotech software company and then you sold it, yeah, it, it, you had to have made it successful. Yeah, to we sell did. It.
4: Yeah, yeah. So we started off not successful, uh, obviously, um, and uh, and I hit rock bottom. And I remember I told my partner I quit, and uh, it was at a family event. And and after I told my quit, you know, I just remember crying my eyes out. Uh, my mother came up to me and put her put her hand on my shoulder and and uh, I don't even remember what she said but you know tears are coming out of my eyes stuff is kind of my nose it was like one of the worst days of my life because I was never a quitter like in anything I did uh, I don't I didn't want to be a quitter and the next day I woke up and said you know what I got to do this I got to I got to find a way to do it but what I've been doing so far isn't working like it is not working obviously we got to find a different way to stand and the big realization that um, that I found was I'm not the first guy to try to sell software before. So instead of trying to come up with all of the creative ideas and how to market myself, I'm just going to look at who has had success and see how can I model them. So I looked up to Microsoft and McAfee and Intuit, all kind of big companies in the software space. And I don't care how Bill Gates makes an extra million dollars now. Right. Like, right. It's not relevant. But how did he go from zero to one? Like, How did he make that first... Million. That's what I wanted to do as an entrepreneur. And so I started researching these famous entrepreneurs who were in my field and learned their early success secrets and started applying them to my business. And uh, Microsoft's one was partnerships. They always made partnerships to get into new businesses. Uh, their big one came with IBM, where every IBM computer shipped Microsoft software. That was what put Microsoft on the map, that partnership. But Microsoft was already a $7 million business when they made that deal with IBM. So that's not a huge company, but that's not a nothing company. I would take a $7 million business. I'd be good with that. And how did they get to $7 million? Partnerships with other companies, smaller companies. And so I started applying that strategy to my business. And um, within a month, closed my first deal, which was $13,500, which isn't a lot of money.
2: No, but But, it is for you where you were.
4: Yeah, Yeah. for, for a guy making $300 a month. Thirteen and a half thousand. I felt like I would won the lottery. Um, it was such an amazing day, and looking back on it, it's just um, it still, you know, makes me happy. Um, and more than that, I had a strategy to now do more of those kinds of deals. Right, So I closed other deals and other deals and and built our business and we started landing NASA as a client and Johnson Johnson as a client. We had customers in 30 countries and we started to grow and got recognition in our industry Um, and eventually kicked up so much noise and started growing so fast that we got acquired by um, California-based business. Uh, And so that became this rapid path of success mostly by just following what worked for Bill Gates and Microsoft and a strategy that I hadn't thought of myself and and now, whenever I'm looking at new ideas, I always try to think, who can I model, right? Like, who can I model to have success? You know, if I wanted to start a radio show, I'm looking up, I'm going to look up your show, right? Awesome. I'm going to be following and learning the tricks. Um, because you don't want to try to create every... You, you can't come with all the is yourself. And so if you can model what's already worked for other people, you're learning from their decades, maybe, of mistakes and avoiding them to have success yourself. And so that message... Um, I just stumbled on, right? I didn't, I was never taught that. My parents weren't entrepreneurs. I didn't have an Uncle Joe who had a business who could teach me. I didn't learn anything in school about entrepreneurship. And so I, I, I luckily stumbled on that by just being at my absolute worst day of my life. And I thought, this is such a powerful concept that I want to help share that. And I want other entrepreneurs to learn that. and I want to try to be a force for good so they don't have to go through all the terrible things that I had to. And just the soul crushingness
2: yeah soul crushingness <laughs> of yes. running
4: the business and not getting success and so that's what drives me forward
2: well and yesterday i sat in on your session haters are gonna hate yeah and it, it it was social media when you get a bad review on social media for your company or your business right and it was truly phenomenal all the things that you had but it was very simple the steps that you take and you've been there apparently
4: yeah I've i got, can just assume I, I, that no i've got a lot of haters um Haters are going to hate. Haters are going to hate. And, you know, one thing I found is the more you are on a path to do something big, the more you want to try to have a positive impact, the more you're going to get people who love what you're doing and want to be a part of it. And the more you're also going to get people who who hate on you. And uh, they just... These are people who don't like their own life. You know, they don't have a positive upbringing and they just lash out on the world and they've attached themselves to you. You know, I like to think of entrepreneurs as gladiators. We're gladiators. We get up every day. We train, we fight, we go to the ring, we take on the competition, you know, we get our cuts and bruises and scratches and we get back up another day and we go fight. And, and we're often in the public arena where people can judge us by our mistakes and our success as well. And I see the haters, I call them the little man. I see the little man as he's the guy up in the, in the audience. He's coming to watch the fight, you know, and he'll, he'll boo you when you make a mistake and he'll tell jokes to his buddies and he'll throw tomatoes at your face because he's too afraid to go live his dream and get in the ring and do something powerful for himself. And so instead of doing something great on his own, he's going to try to tear down other people who are trying to do something great. And, um, the sad part is a lot of that little man mentality holds people back from doing great things because they're worried how they're going to get judged. Right, And they operate out of a space of fear instead of trying to do something really powerful and positive. Um, and so there's a number of strategies on how to deal with the haters, how to deal with the little man. You also have to deal with the internal little man, you know, the, the guy in your head saying, don't do that, you know, play it safer. Um, and I I believe that that, you know, really holds a lot of people back from doing great things with their business and their life.
2: Well, this morning, did you go to the early session, the keynote Mm. you know Brandy awesome and from Lolly the the she was a She's a clothing company, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, She was saying that social media is how they built their business, but social media can also be heartbreaking when people lash out at you. When you're trying to run your company, you've got to make some business decisions. Like if someone's just not working out and you have to let them go. Yeah. And, but especially in a small town like her, they would lash out and try to destroy them through social media. Yeah. And so she, she was very authentic when she was talking about it being heartbreaking.
4: Yeah. The one thing to keep in mind is that uh, you will have way more supporters who are, who are silent than you will have haters who are this tiny minority of people who just make themselves heard. Um, on my YouTube channel, as an example, I showed a slide yesterday where I took the past 28 days of stats and we had like 20,000 plus thumbs ups on the videos and 400 thumbs downs on the videos. So already that's a huge oh, gap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then if you look at those 400 thumbs downs, you're going to have like 1% of them, maybe four people who are really like vocal and you know just want to try to make people's lives miserable. And so it's such a small number compared to the people who love what you're doing. And you know, especially if you're trying to do something powerful and good and positive, and I believe most entrepreneurs are on a mission to not just make money, but try to have an impact and provide for the community. Um, and it's hard to keep that... It's hard to keep all the good things in mind. Like you can you can pass over a hundred great comments and there's that one comment that just sticks yeah. in your gut that that person kind of attacked you and that's the one you go home thinking about and you push away all of the great stuff. And so it's constantly reminding yourself that, hey, we're doing something important and you will never get no haters. The only way to get no haters is, is to have people not care at all about your business. To I
2: mean, not make an impact.
4: Zero. It's apathy. Yeah. So... You know, you don't want haters. You're gonna have, you're not gonna have any supporters either, and that's another problem a lot of entrepreneurs face: is that they're so worried about haters, they're so worried about sharing their opinion that they play it safe. You know, they, they they're like a you know political candidate who doesn't want to offend anybody, and as a result, nobody cares, and right. you get no reaction on the tweets you're putting up, no no shares, no thumbs ups, no you know, referring people, you get no action. And that's actually most entrepreneurs, they get zero engagement on their social channels because you're not giving them anything that's worth engaging with.
2: Your t-shirt says, Evan Carmichael, believe. Yeah. And you've got such an incredible presence about you and you're such a happy, jolly person. The session was so enjoyable with both both of you guys that taught it last night. What yeah. other sessions are you doing here at the Sage
4: Summit? Uh, I'm doing one later this afternoon, talking about building a customer centric organization. So how to focus on uh, making sure you listen to your customers and and build a business around it.
2: So how do you become a speaker at the Sage Summit? Do they just hear about you and get so excited about you, what you do in your business?
4: Yeah, uh, there's a lot of different ways, I guess, to get noticed and stand out. My personal way is I like to kick up a lot of noise in my industry. <laughs> uh, y- you may not believe it, but I'm I'm a pretty introverted guy. Uh, that is hard to believe. I know, but it's true. <laughs> like, I am not the guy. I don't talk to, the, to my taxi driver. I don't talk to the person next to me on the airplane. I don't network. I'm, uh, I don't enjoy it. I'm not good at it. And I don't want to be good at it. I'm okay with understanding my strengths and what I'm good at. I love people, but... Um, I end up doing things like this. We do radio shows. I do speeches. And people end up coming to me and we have conversations. But I'm not the networker out there like saying, hey, you guys got to go visit my website. Um, So, you know, the business focus on me being that salesperson, I would fail. Luckily, there's a lot of other ways to build a brand and to be successful. And my chosen way is to provide amazing content in my space. Um, So right now I'm all in on YouTube. I'm focusing a lot of efforts on my YouTube channel. I'm doing two videos a day, moving to three videos every day. Um, And I've built up a community. And it's the fastest growing channel in the entrepreneur space on YouTube. And so because of that, people take notice. Entrepreneurs take notice. Brands take notice. Sage takes notice. And people reach out to me and say, hey, we'd like to have you come and be a speaker it helps that i'm in a visual medium yes if you want to be a speaker you you need to have videos of yourself right to, if you're just a writer then it's you might be invited to write for other websites but you're not going to be invited necessarily to be a speaker at an event um, and so there's a lot of different ways to do it and i don't want to say mine is the only right way but again my approach has been show a lot of video show me speaking and just produce amazing content on a regular consistent basis and build up a name for yourself so you get invited to places like this.
2: Which is what you said yesterday about content being important on your website. Um and if you are doing three videos a day. Okay, I'm going, how do you do three videos a day? That's
4: yeah, insane, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is insane. And nobody's doing it. Um with the team. You know, with the team and me getting better. Uh when I started it was me just me it took me you know a whole day to do one video just record it um i was not fantastic on camera um i would take my dslr and set it up and i'd have to have uh what somebody on my team or my or my sister come and just like focus it and then leave the room because i couldn't talk with anybody
5: that's hilarious in the
4: room uh And so I got better, right? I've done 2,500 videos now. And so with practice, you get better. Like your radio show, I'm sure the first one isn't as good as you are now. And so anything, entrepreneurs expect to kill it on the first try. Mm -hmm. where It's never the case. You want to ride a bicycle. You want to learn French. You want to be a good speaker. You will suck at the start. That's part of the process. And you continue to get better and better and better with practice. And so don't have these huge expectations on yourself. Um, So I started off sucking making one video a month and then it became one video a week and then it became a video every day and I hired an editor because I was making Very some important. money making some money from the channel we love our editors uh, I had I to help me because I realized my talents are not best spent editing if I could be more in front of the camera that's where I enjoy being um, and so at the start though I did it my like I'm a believer in bootstrapping I don't go out and get money to spend on things as you could I could have done that. I could have got all the gear, hired all the team, and then realized, oh, this isn't for me. I don't want to do this. And then Mm. you're sitting there with a garage full of gear. And entrepreneurs do that. I'm gonna start a t-shirt company. So they go out and they buy all these t-shirts, and it sits in their garage, it sits in their closet. So I'm a huge believer in starting small and and building up. Um, And so it was all me at the start. The first person I hired was an editor. That let me move to video per day. And then the second person I hired was a researcher. So again, that freed up my time in researching and allowed me to do more work. And that was a part-time researcher. That let me do two videos a day. And now I'm moving to three videos a day and I moved the researcher to be full-time and I hired a second editor to help me edit all these videos that are coming out. So what
2: did the researcher do?
4: The researcher is doing a lot of background information. So um, some of the content, for example... You know, what really helped me in my business, my biotech software company, was the modeling success, right? right? Finding famous entrepreneurs like Bill Gates and learning from them. And so I wanted to take that message and help make it easy to model success and make it digestible. Because right now, if you wanted to model somebody's success, you're going to have to buy their book and read the whole thing and like take out the 10 things that might be applicable to you. Or maybe you come to an event or, you know, you pay for coaching or whatever. But uh, um Instead of having to read an entire book, I wanted to take some of that content and distill it through my eyes. as like my lens on that person and share those lessons and kind of quick bits for people. One, to motivate them, and one, to give them concrete ideas you can try in your business. That takes a lot of work. Yeah, you know, to so do that,
2: it's wonderful though, wonderful
4: research on all those entrepreneurs takes a lot of work, and to be able to deliver it in a way that is, you know, in a five-minute video, it's got to be super tight, super compact. A lot of entrepreneurs even aren't great at telling their own story. I'm sure if you've interviewed guests, right, they what? get long-winded and they can't tell their story quickly, um, and so that's part of what we do in the channel. And and I love doing that because doing the research um, <laughs> inspires you. me, oh, right? Yeah. But but. It still wasn't what I love. Like, I love more being on camera and telling the story.
2: So today when we, uh, they had the conversation with Chad Hurley this morning mm-hmm. with YouTube, the YouTube creator.
4: Yeah, yeah, YouTube founder, yeah.
2: And he was talking about, need, he, you know, what's next, what he'd like to do yeah. later, um, more editing services and things yeah. like that. Did you relate to that talk real well?
4: Uh, I love Chad I met him backstage before the presentation went on that was awesome uh, I'm you know I'm in awe of what he created you know YouTube has changed the world yeah. uh, impact is so many different industries um, it's great that he's on moving on to something else that he's really passionate about really excited about um, I'm sure my video editor might be excited by his new you know, program oh, yeah. that he's coming out with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's great for people who aren't editors because it's just becoming easier now to be able to edit your own stuff. Like it's a it's a limiting factor for a lot of entrepreneurs where they feel like I want to be on YouTube but I don't know how to edit. Um, and so anything that makes that easier is fantastic. Uh, but you know, where I'm at now, I guess it's, I have an editor, so now I'm worried, well how do I get better? How do we produce more content that people can relate to on YouTube?
2: So what do you call yourself then? Because you found a niche, right? Yeah. Where, and I guess in Toronto, do they call it a niche or do they call it a niche? Uh, both, both,
4: both, <laughs> both, both works. <laughs>
2: yeah, because you, your whole thing is to help entrepreneurs be more successful, do it faster, easier, and you're providing that, so.
4: Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, some I'm based in Toronto. My audience is mostly American because the nature of social is that there's way more Americans than Canadians. Um, it's hard. What I've, what I've done is I just, I say, I believe in entrepreneurs. And that opens a discussion, you know. Somebody says, "What do you do?" Well, what do I say? I do. I have a website. I have a YouTube channel. I have a book. I've got. So I like. I prefer just saying, "I believe in entrepreneurs." If you look at my Twitter bio, it just says, "Evan Carmichael. I believe in entrepreneurs," and I find it just opens up a conversation. And then wherever people want to take it. Like, if I'm talking to you, you'll have one interest. We'll take it in one way, and somebody yeah. else will have something else to take it that way. And um, I find it's just a cool conversation starter, and I go from there.
2: This morning, Karen Baker. The, okay. I think it was Baker, the ambassador, the government's ambassador for small businesses. She was sitting in between Jane Seymour and Brandy. Okay. She was the one from the UK.
4: Okay. Did you see that? Uh, the, the Baroness? Yes, the yes. Baroness. She's yeah, a yeah. Baroness.
2: How did I miss that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Wow. Brady, Brady. Brady, Karen.
0: Brady, Brady. that's it, yeah. I should know that. She's cause I amazing. Always think, oh, I amazing. know she was amazing and yeah. hilarious. Yeah.
2: And incredibly... Strong, yeah, you know, confident. I was pretty totally blown away. She described what she believed an entrepreneur was, yeah, um, and I thought that was interesting. Cause I don't think I've ever, you know, you think of entrepreneur, you think somebody starting a business, yeah, but she said a great entrepreneur is someone who takes risk. Well, first they they have an, an idea, and they understand what the need is, and then they move forward. And they put their own money in. She, she very much was defining it. And, then yeah. t- and they take risk. Yeah. And um, and they have the skin in the game kind of, you know. Um, but yeah. But she was, she, I'd never heard anybody kind of define it. to how, how to be a great entrepreneur.
4: Yeah. You know, I believe 90% of America wakes up and drives to a job that they hate. You know, and people are living for the weekends. They're living for the yeah. evenings. And uh, they're too afraid to follow their passion and do what they're actually excited about. And so they're waiting for the weekends to just get away and wait, can't wait for that next vacation to come up. And, and that's not a way to, in my view, to live. Uh, it's not a way to con- have a positive impact on society. And it's not a way to be a happy person. And it's
2: not good for your health.
4: And it's not good for your health. It's true. And and uh, everybody has an idea. Everybody has an idea and maybe multiple ideas. And you've thought about, oh, I wish I could do that. And then you never actually take any action on it. I think that's what makes a difference. Where the entrepreneurs are the ones who... Actually, take some kind of action, and it doesn't mean you know. I'm not in the camp that says you have to quit your job and go all in Mm -hmm. and burn all your bridges, and you know, throw over your boss's desk or whatever.
2: (laughs) Uh, Like the movies. (laughs)
4: That's true. I think you can start part time as long as you're making sure that you're doing things every day, like half an hour at least every single day. Keep growing your business. Ideally, you're in a job where you're learning to be a better entrepreneur as well. You're not just taking some McDonald's job. You know, you're you're doing a job where. If you want to be a radio show host, then maybe you start off as an intern at a radio show network, right? So you're learning the business. You're getting paid to make mistakes.
2: And you don't give up. And I, I think that was one of the things that um, yeah. Karen had said yeah. is that, you know, you are going to fail, um, maybe a lot. But she even said that, you know, I, and I am I think it was her, the the importance is to never give up, to keep going and keep going. Tweak it kind of, you know, and keep going. Um so for you, you've had ideas that you didn't implement, I guess, because I know I have. Sure, and yeah. I hear every you know all the really top speakers here today saying that, and I think you know I've had so many, and when I haven't done anything with them, eventually somebody else comes out with it. Yeah, and I always think you know it's weird. It's Kills like if, you. Kills yeah, you. I had like, the idea. Yeah, it's like yeah. if God gives you the idea and you don't do anything with it. Yeah. He's going to give it to somebody else. It's really weird. And so um, anything for you that you just wish that you had done?
4: Uh, No, I don't have a lot of regrets. Um, I have a list of to-dos, I guess, a list of ideas. But I'm not the kind of person who's like, I wish I could do this in five years. As soon as I start having that conversation internally, I'm just the kind of guy who will just start doing it. Even if I don't know how it's going to work out. um, I hate living with regret. Um, and I think back to Jeff Bezos, who's the founder of Amazon.com. And when he started, he, he was a VP at an uh, investment bank and was like on the path, fast track, youngest ever VP at the company, you know, going to be the C-suite. And he left it all to start an online business called Amazon.com at a time when people thought, you're nuts. Like, what are you doing? Who's going to buy books online? You're, this is ridiculous. Why would you do this? And he said he didn't want to live in regret. He didn't want to live with the thought, like, what if I did that? Yeah. And that would haunt him. So, he he tries to think back to, like, he's 70 years old. He's looking back on his life. Would he be happy with the decision that he made now? And he felt like he could always go back and get a job in an investment bank, and he had to go try this. And that applies to business. That applies to your life. That applies to anytime you have that little voice to say, I want to do it, but I'm afraid. I find it helpful to think, okay, if I'm 70, I'm looking back on my life. At this moment right now would I regret not making this decision?
2: Well, yeah, and I think that fear is good in that it does keep you working hard. You know, if you're not afraid, like even if you're not afraid for the show today, then you don't prepare. Yeah. Um, and so, the, the, you know, fear is helpful. And I think that the people, some people who are not afraid, they don't do things well. They don't prepare well. They're not professional enough. And so I think that that extra energy... Is good for you right but it can also paralyze you and I and they call it courage you're afraid yeah. you go ahead and go forward yeah and I know I looked at your bio I was like oh my gosh this is awesome look what he <laughs> did at 19 and at 22 it's just amazing and so it's very motivating for people to hear now how do people get a hold of you they you talked about your YouTube channel
4: yeah uh, my website is Evan if you just google Evan Carmichael you'll find Evan My Carmichael. Twitter and YouTube and all that stuff. <laughs> Car Michael Car Michael. Two
2: works together. Yeah. Yeah. And your YouTube channel too. Yeah. And okay. So that is if they want to build a business and can get a lot of information from you. Now, what if they live near you in Toronto or around there?
4: Uh, yeah. I, I have meetups. I have a mastermind group that we connect once a month with local entrepreneurs and I try to help them and grow their businesses. Um
2: It's interesting you're in a mastermind group because that is the thing, right? I hear it a lot. Yeah. Um, So mastermind means what?
4: Uh, Mastermind is basically acknowledging that you don't have all the answers and you want to connect with like-minded people who share a similar vision to you of wanting to have a positive impact on the world, but um, not not uh, not pretending like you know the answer to everything and every question uh, and so getting together on a regular basis and helping each other out. That is
2: wonderful and thank you so much for listening to Evan today. If you would like to know more about my show go to our webpage at voiceamerica.com Living Well is the show and I'm Ann Biel, or you can email me at ablivingwell at com, or we can go to com slash voiceamerica. Thanks for listening in.
1: Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Most married men experience frustration because there are things they want from their wives but don't know how to get them. Nothing seems to work. Desires are unfulfilled fantasies unrealized and relationships become stagnant men are desperate today for a richer deeper more satisfying and intimate marriage dr jim slaughter teaches men how to have the passionate fulfilling marriage they've always wanted call 817-991-4964 or email j at yahoo.com to begin transforming your marriage into what you want it to be
0: friend us on facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world Voice America Empowerment.
1: You are listening to Living Well with Ann Beal. We'd love to hear from you with comments and questions about the show. Please send us an email to ablivingwell at gmail.com. That's ablivingwell at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show.
2: This is Ann Beal with Living Well, just coming back at the SAID Summit. I have Dr. Doctor Barbara Young here with me, and she will follow me once I'm done today. We were uh, talking about the session this morning, the keynote speaker, Tony Hawk, and uh, William McDonough, and Bree Pettis, and Dolly Singh, and Matthew Wiener, and who else was there? Tony... The
5: Skateboard King. I don't have his name, but Skateboard
2: King. So you say you got to see the whole thing. You didn't
5: have to rush off. What was your favorite thing about this morning? Because you were in there with me. I think my favorite thing was uh, the exchange and dialogue about change. And more particularly from the perspective of making this universe or the world environment rather than destroying it, but how ways that we can absolutely utilize the resources that we have to make it better. So I was very intrigued with Bill's um, stories of how he has changed the landscape in India for people. I know it was amazing, uh, uh, and and why we can't seem to incorporate that with diversity and I like the way that he talked about diversity and the things that we need to be aware of in this country and how we can make change and I think that's the important thing also from from Dolly Singh I heard her talk about and what resonated with me was excellence and what to look for and what she looked for in terms of who would work for her. And the thing that struck me is it's so true that if people aren't excited and feel good about what they can do and what they can offer, why should I be excited about you? Yeah, she was talking about how to hire somebody. (laughs) Right. That if you don't think you're awesome, why would she think you're awesome? Right, right. And, And
2: then also if you are not excited every day to get up and go, Work with this person, and and yeah. to think about that when you hire somebody. If you if you would work for them, then hire them. If you would never work for them, then right. don't hire them.
5: Right. But yeah, I loved so much about, and they all blended so well together, I mean, very well, Ted. I liked uh, Bree's comments about um, again working with people, friendliness. He talked about friendliness and relationships, mm-hmm. making friends. And, and friends, that's so important. And what he wanted to do was to to celebrate that, make friends. And this is talking about businesses, when you're working with people to develop friendships and well, relationships. It, and
2: they even took it as far as, w- combining with, with Bill McDonough, um, is it City Life, the... The where people live more friendly, accessible, so people can build relationships together instead of be divided. And then you know, with William talking and Bill talking about um, you know making water from air, and so they grow plants on the ceiling and they grow plants along the walls, and people may see the air being made to water the plants (laughs) with. And then you think of a friendliness. It was like. you know, he was talking about doing that in India and doing I that. And I'm thinking, well, why don't we do that
5: here? Well, you know, I I got one statement I could say out of all of that this morning that I heard is that making the impossible possible. possible.
2: Yeah, they said unless it goes against the laws of physics, it can be done. It can be done, and it's just hard work <laughs> to figure it out. And I, you know, with my show being living well, I, I felt like, oh my gosh i got to get these people
5: on. I mean, it was just, didn't you feel good? I felt very good. They made us feel so, it felt. Well, they're nuggets. And the thing that I'm very glad I'm here at the SAGE conference, and that is the takeaways. And to be always open to learning from others. I think so many people get so inculcated with their own ideas and they don't want to step out of the box and learn new things and be open for new ideas and As we segue into the second session, because I know we don't have a lot of time, Anne, is that when we talk about creating a fan base, and I kind of said this earlier, too, that we're in the age of technology and communication so fast and so rapid, it's changing like this, that to be aware of distinction between criticism and haters. So that's the one line lesson that I think we need to be aware of to make that distinction of criticism which may be valid of your fans but to hear them to let them know that you hear them i think
2: that's so important they talk about the importance of everyone being feeling you know everyone has a voice and when you let them know you've heard them it just really makes everything okay and 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 that was very interesting and i think it built on so much of what we're hearing here about criticism or when you have fans fans can point out things that they didn't like but a hater is not a fan no. it 's somebody who doesn 't like no. doesn 't right. like you and so they try right. to destroy you right. um, versus making right. a criticism so yeah, I really enjoyed that session too. It was just so different when when um with william and and brie Pettis and dolly Singh, i don 't know if they 've even ever met before no they they, each, they they are very huge in
5: each of their fields right you know there 's the the um 3D. And I think it was kind of sad because I think Bill said, "I'd like to get to know you better." Kind of all, yeah, you could just he, see he them. He talked about well, one of the things I'd like if there were yes. three things I could do, I'd like to get to know you better. Right. But and I'm, there are
2: there are three there are three different companies. You saw them building relationships on stage. Yes. And that they were talking about the bromance yes. that was happening yes. between Bree yes. and yes. William, and so it was just all so wonderful. And I wanted you to sit with me because I know we were both in there yes. just chat, so we could share that with you and uh, our wonderful experience. Thanks for listening, living well today Thank with you. me from the. State summit thank you thank
5: you it's my pleasure
1: thank you again for joining us living well with ann beal airs live every wednesday morning at 7 a.m pacific time 10 a.m eastern time on the voice america empowerment channel we can't wait to see you again next week